This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 45, Emotions and Money. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Um, with you here today, your host, Holly Bach, and co-host, Mark Willis. Hello. And Katrina Willis. Hi there. Um, and so today, we're going to be kind of continuing our current mini-series called The Circle of Life, as we've been calling it, where we just want to talk about all these different topics and things relating to life um, and how finances kind of play into that. And so for today's episode, we're going to be jumping into emotions. Oh, okay. no. I'm out yeah. of here. Yeah. Emo- <laughs> yeah. Typical male. Just kidding. Um, and so, you know, we're talking about emotions and the emotions involved with money because I feel like it's very common for people to kind of delineate the two where it's like, you know, my money is, is factual and it's hard numbers and there's, you know, periods and I can calculate it and whatever. And then it's, you know, oh, emotions, they're over here and they're different. And, you know, my emotions have nothing to do with my money. You know, yeah. And it's like, well, no, our, our emotions affect our money in so many real ways every single day of our lives. And so um, we've actually learned from a lot of different studies. And then, of course, I'm sure also for some of our listeners' personal experience that emotions very very really affect your everyday life. Right. And in fact, you know, sadness, just the emotion of sadness, regardless of what it's from, um, can actually make you spend more. Um, and that was from a study done by the National Science Foundation. Wow. And National Institute of Health. So you could be sad about something completely related, but then it's going to make you spend more. So that affects your finances. So for people that think their emotions don't affect their finances, they do. But Holly, that purse made me feel so good. It yeah. feels even better if I'm crying. eating if I'm eating ice cream and buying purses. Uh, do I buy purses? <laughs> no, All right. Uh, the purse. Yeah. The ever yeah. infamous purse. <laughs> Um, <laughs> man bag. It's a man bag. Man bag. Okay. Um, you know, and, and we've also, of course, people know that that absolutely as a, as a nation, as a country, we do carry this herd mentality where, you know, we all pile into these bubbles just before they burst. Yeah. And then, of course, we're all left selling at the worst possible time. I mean, that happens time and time again. And we also have, you know, arrogance and greed, let's be honest, that we all have, you know, with our speculations. Those we, are emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That we're, we we want that you know best deal we want that highest return so we're kind of greedy about it and we chase after these really risky things um you know we might think that maybe we've evolved from the 1600s and the um also infamous tulip mania where in holland just a single tulip bulb was selling for the price of an entire house if you have if you haven't heard of that before look it up it's actually quite fascinating um what was going on at the time and and what led to that but um you know even in a world that we exist in today, not in the 1600s, where we have more buy and hold index funds than we've ever had access to before and higher quality index funds than we've ever had before and cheaper buy and hold strategies than we've ever had before. Clearly that for some reason, that's still not enough and we still can't help ourselves with chasing after even better things. Mm-hmm. You know, Bitcoin, anyone? Right, yep. So, Crypto mania. Yep. Yeah, so they, there's... 
There's, you know, there's lots of emotions that go into money. Uh, there's this sense of shame, for example, for not understanding our money or for losing money in the market. There's a sense of shame there. I should have done this or I should have done that. Or there's the fear maybe of making another mistake with your money. Man, I see that a lot. I don't want to do the recommendations of our financial advisor because I'm afraid of making another mistake like I did in the past. Wow, that's all you over know, the place. Mark, the one comment on that, you know, Holly was mentioning arrogance and greed, and you're talking about shame and fear. Those are the same. They're all fear-based. Hmm. But one is you know, aggressive, and one is um, intuitive or introspective. Fight or flight. Hmm. Right. So one's like an outward fear, and one's an inward fear. Wow. Hmm. Hmm. Well, you're so, man, that's so interesting there. Um, and then, of course, there's the rage and anger when your boss passes you up for a raise or the anger when you realize how much f- <laughs> you've been paying in fees maybe on your 401k and that's been siphoning off of your money to a, some stranger uh, on Wall Street. You know, finances, almost like nothing else on the earth, really just cuts right through the junk, uh, the other stuff of life, cuts to the quick and really reveals the human heart. Mm-hmm. And and I would say in this topic of emotions, just for me anyways, and maybe not everyone else is, is like this, but think of that pit in your stomach, yeah. right? You know, when right. you get that pit in your stomach, it's like, how often do you get that when it's something related to your money? You know, mm-hmm. so it's like something finance related come up, that pit enters, whatever emotion comes with it, maybe it makes you act out aggressively and outwardly and, in you know, anger, maybe it's more inward and leads to shame, you know, but it's like, just like, that pits there, you're feeling emotion, you know, and you're being emotionally charged by something that's happening with your money. And um, that's what's so hard because no one likes that feeling. And so, you know, we want to eliminate that. Well, as soon as you become an adult, maybe it's right when you graduated college and all of a sudden now you have to pay your bills. And maybe you got a philosophy degree or an arts and crafts degree or whatever, and you had a great time doing it and you learned and you had all these deep ideas and emotions and, and beliefs about the world. But then all of a sudden the light bill is due <laughs> and that gets, it gets right to the middle of like it grounds you and it forces you to pay attention to the, 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 ra- the raw stuff of life. And honestly, it can peel back some of the layers of, you know, uh, of a su- superfluous uh, college degree and get you right into the middle of what do you truly believe about who you are and what is this thing called money? In fact, um, when it comes to real actual uh, experiences with money, I feel like we were given very little training, uh, you know, very little in the way of education around how to manage the emotions around money. In fact, uh, there was recently a study done. We've learned actually that a, that a sizable loss in your investments or savings can actually lead to not just emotions, but a shorter lifespan. Like biologically, you will die sooner if you lose a ton of money. Middle-aged Americans who experienced a sudden economic large blow to their finances were more likely to die during the years that followed, uh, you know, relative to those who didn't experience that major financial loss. So, you know, the heightened danger of death after a, a, dev- a devastating loss is actually called something by doctors. It's called a wealth shock. And so that crossed socioeconomic lines. It affected people no matter how much money they had to start with. You know, so this is according to the Journal of the American Medical Association. So this is not just some off-the-wall, harebrained idea. This is a true, real, verifiable fact. The findings suggest that a wealth shock is as dangerous as a new diagnosis of a heart disease. (laughs) This is according to Alan Gerber of Harvard University, of all places. Uh, And so in an accompanying editorial, 
He noted that doctors actually, doctors, medical professionals, need to recognize how money is affecting the patient's health. It's phenomenal stuff. So it's not just numbers on a page. It's not even um, just dollars in your bank account. It's, it's, your, it's the biological and, and emotional side of things as well that really matters. So a new study by business and technology service companies, uh, one called Cognizant, sheds some light on how many different emotional connections we truly have with our money. Uh, so the digital era has really introduced some unprecedented levels of convenience. So like everyday consumer spending, money management, logging in to see your you know, bank balance on your checking account, that process of paying your bills, accessing short-term money for you know, the, the craft beer or the espresso has really become frictionless. And the same, of course, cannot be said, however, of more complex or future financial matters, such as saving for retirement or investing. And it just leaves a lot of consumers, a lot of Americans feeling anxious around the future money and uh, mindless about the current money. So, you know, it's really important to be aware that your emotions affect your relationship with money. I know that banks, commercials, companies, Wall Street, they, they get this. They get that your emotions are what is the key to your wallet. So if they're using that emotion lever to get advantage, take advantage of you, you got to make sure that you're also holding that leverage so that you can use your emotions for you. Mm-hmm. And really, when kind of talking about you know, emotions and money and, and the leverage of that, there's there's kind of two types of money out there that we interact with. This was really cool. And yeah, tell yeah. us some more about those two types of money. Yeah, and, and how our emotions are affected and how we emotionally respond to each. And so um, the first type is fast money. And so this is the money that we kind of engage with on a regular basis. So um, kind of think of fast money as being the money that's in and out, in and out, in and out. You know, th- it includes your business bills, your uh, bill payments, any, anything like that, daily expenditures, and your bank account. So they're very real. They're very there. You see them all the time. Um, primarily, it, you know, it's functional in nature. It's used to exchange goods and services. And um, most management of fast money is now digital. Okay, so we're, you know, transferring money from our savings to our checking and, you know, that sort of thing and are paying our bills online, all that sort of stuff. Um, so first type is fast money. Second type is slow money. And it's vastly more difficult for customers to actually manage and comprehend their slow money uh, because slow money consists of pensions and insurance and investments that are assigned to a distant future purpose. So, okay, so this slow money is meant for retirement in the future. Um, and whereas in the, in the present moment, though, um, slow money's primary, val- primary value is to give people peace of mind. So it can kind of give you this peace of mind knowing that your slow money is there, saved for the future, but there's no real interaction with it as much um, in the present. That's where people will come to us and say, oh, I've got a ton of money in my uh, you know, bank on yourself policy or my 401k, and I just never look at it. And that's, you know, I kind of get that to some degree. Uh, and yet, there is sort of this underlying, when I get down to it and I start asking them some more questions, they have this underlying anxiety. Do I even have enough in there? What is the right amount to have in there? What's my magic number? So when I know that I've achieved financial independence, those are those underlying sort of currents of discontent and anxiety that start to come out when we start to even ask some basic questions. And so when we started to ask some of those questions and when the study was done, actually, uh, they determined that there were eight primary emotions, this is the Cognizant study, eight primary emotions related to fast and slow money. There were three emotions with fast money and there are five emotions with slow. 
So for example, with borrowed money, the emotion is associated with guilt that we need to borrow, that we're not living within our means. And even if the borrowing is for a good purpose, like a you know, college degree or a house, there's this feeling of guilt associated with money. There's also that purposeful money, you know, that sort of devoted for retirement, education, even maybe like, you know, a, the bite the bullet trip of a lifetime vacation. People feel distant, complex, emotional experiences like you were talking about, Holly, where we're, you know, we both feel good about that and yet this underlying anxiety. Uh, there's this exper experimental money that we use maybe for investments or the stock market, which brings excitement. There's the emergency fund, which of course brings some peace of mind, that feeling of peace and, and kindness there. Uh, and that we feel like there's some uh, responsibility to saving and you know, sort of being productive with our money, letting it earn interest and dividends. And recent studies at UCLA show that the human brain sees our future selves as a stranger. But when you see an image of your future self or write yourself a letter to be received 20 years from now, you're more likely to save more money. And, uh, you know, some people are clipping coupons when they should be writing themselves maybe a letter, um, you know, future self a letter. You know, it's a better deal maybe to, instead of just clipping that $1.50 off the grocery uh, bill, to write yourself, your future self a letter, start thinking about yourself 30 years from now. Uh, don't you wanna be kind to your future self? That's one of the things that we thought of that might be a good strategy. Yeah, and thinking about where you wanna be in 30 years could also just be a good strategy to motivate yourself to do more now in the right. present to help you actually get there. Um, and so what's a common source of stress in relationships? Well. Money, money, right? I mean, all day, every day, right? Mm -hmm. And so stress can come from a lot of different factors. You know, a lack of money, of course, is a big one, and, and that's kind of its own issue, but also just disagreements on how to spend your money, different values and beliefs about money in general. Um, how do you view money? What do you think about money? Um, how important do you see it being? Uh, differing risk tolerances. So oh, one, wow. you know, yeah. one person is is very you know risk adverse. One person's very risk loving. You know, what do you what do you do about that? Um, and then of course you know buying things without agreement, you know, kind of what's your uh, agreement on when you're allowed to just spend money without consulting yeah. the other one. I mean, that's a conversation that should be had. Hey, Katrina, I did go ahead and get that Maserati, by the way. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> that might be an example of something not to do. Um, and then, of course, you know, micromanaging all buying decisions, you know, down to the very penny. Is that is there one person that micromanages and one person that doesn't have a clue? Or is it, um, you know, maybe we don't micromanage, but it's just there's a dollar threshold above that point. That's when you need That's to have a, a conversation, idea. you know, that sort of thing. And so what's one simple tool that can be used to significantly reduce financial stress? You know, a, a, a budget, right? Uh, I think all of us here use a budget, uh, but I'm going to go ahead and add a little nuance to it. Not just a budget. Again, the tool is fine, mm -hmm. but if you don't have something to go along with, if you're not swinging the axe the right way, you're never going to cut down the tree. So I feel like the best thing you can do if we were going to make one recommendation uh, for your emotions and money uh, is a budget meeting. Yep. Wah, wah, right? <laughs> two no. sounds, two sound, two words when added together that sound just terrible. <laughs> you know, it's like come up with some other ones, right? Like uh, sandpaper socks. Uh, 
<laughs> or like um, you know motor oil ice cream. I mean, you could you can't come up with worse combinations of words. So the right? ice cream is a good word. Yeah, so it would be yeah, like yeah. motor oil, like something else disgusting. Uh, taxes, yeah. Like Brussels sprouts. Right. Like oh, motor oil Brussels yeah. sprouts. Like that's terrible. <laughs> so, you know, if, if you can get sort of a past that, maybe you call it something else, a uh, strategic spending session or whatever <laughs> funny mix mash you want to put well, there. Well, what you're saying is that you want the budgeting activity to be active. It needs to be regular. It needs to be engaging. It needs to be where two or more are gathered. Yeah. <laughs> so you want to be communicating. You want to be on the same team. You don't want to be fighting at each other, which can happen. Um, it, it's not an adversarial place. It needs to be a, a collaborative place. Uh, and, you know, if you want to spend something and you want to spend big on it, just talk about it and then sleep on it a few nights and put it in your budget. And you're more likely to have a better outcome than, you know, to spend it behind your partner's back or whatever. Like that doesn't work out, Mr. Maserati. <laughs> um, and then, you know, you decide what matters and what doesn't. You schedule it on the calendar, get a babysitter, doing it during your best time of day. Don't do this at 8 p.m. You are tired. Mm-hmm. You've had a whole day of willpower decisions that you've been making all day long and you're frazzled. Stop it. Do it on a Saturday morning. Do it at, do it at a time when you're a little bit stronger in the day. Um, and it's a small, simple step. It's easy to implement and it makes a huge difference in the family. And you can teach your kids. You could even have your kids sitting in there with you and have that discussion. And may, they may only sit there for 30 seconds, but you know, show them that this is what we do and this is how you, you're healthy. And I think you'd be surprised how much they would pick up on, even just if they're only there for 30 seconds or, you know, but just the fact that you're, you're creating that time and that space, they'll just notice that you care enough about that to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll already be giving them an education about finances that, you know, most people don't get. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that, you know, the one of the biggest things that was surprising to my husband and I when we started budgeting was that we ended up finding out after implementing it and sticking with it for a while that a budget actually frees you. It doesn't restrain you, which I think is what most people think when they hear budget. They think, oh, I'm being restrained. I'm be- I have to stick to a budget. I'm all of a sudden confined to these hard, fast numbers. But we actually found it was the opposite, um, especially for my husband, because for him, he doesn't really like to spend money on himself. That's just his personality. Everyone's different. Other people love to spend money on themselves. He just does not. But it was to a detriment. You know, this is not necessarily a good thing because he wouldn't buy himself things he very much needed because he just couldn't. Emotions, emotions and money. This is what we're talking about. Um, Because it would make him feel guilty. He'd feel that guilt and shame if he spent money on himself. And... um, However, when we were able to budget and we were able to budget everything out and I was, you know, we were able to kind of go through it all and say, hey, we're covering all of our expenses. We're meeting our savings goals. We're paying for everything that we need to pay for. We're working on paying off this debt and like we're getting there and there's still a little bit extra left over for you. For that toothbrush. Yeah. For that, okay. <laughs> not that, that bad. Socks. Okay. <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, I think that's so cool. You I, know, I, I really respect you guys both for being able to work through that on an emotional level. How many couples would get resentful? I mean, you go 30 years without spending money on yourself ever, and you're going to yeah. feel resentment. It's right? not yeah. good for your Because years. I was still going to spend yeah, it on yeah. myself. Right? Yeah. Right. You're well, going to be like, well, how do I got all this stuff? Rightly so. Neither of you guys yeah. are living 
beyond your means. And I just, I respect you guys greatly for being able to have the adult conversations and demand it. I mean, you know, there were emotions, I'm sure, involved in some of those budget meetings, right? Yeah. But it was just, it was just good to be able to say, hey, like, here's the money set and sign the budget for you to go and get like these things you need, like the, the you know, new dress shirts for work or new polos for golfing, yep. you know, whatever it is that kind of seems a little more luxurious, you know, in his mind, but still good things to have, you know? And so, um, and so it was just kind of cool because he would like go out and buy it and like, he'd be like, okay, I'm good. Like, I don't feel guilty about this. And I'm like, see, see, this is good. So, you know, that was kind of the biggest takeaway or I guess kind of biggest light bulb for us in it early on was, you know, we weren't feeling restrained. We were actually feeling free to be able to buy the things that we wanted, go on the trips that we wanted to, because the money was there. The money was set aside for it. We weren't being irresponsible. We saved, we budgeted it. And as long as we're still covering all of our other expenses and everything else is being taken care of, then absolutely, you know, spend a little, spend a little on yourself. You know, I was thinking about budgeting as you were saying that, and it's kind of like improv. You know the rules of improv where you, you can't really say no, you say yes and. <laughs> and keep oh, going, yeah, that's, that's what great. budgeting does. You're like, yes, and we have this amount of money for you to go and, oh, yes, and I'm going to buy some jeans now. And oh, yes, and. Oh, yeah, that's very cool. Being in Chicago, it felt right. In addition, yeah, you're right. I agree. That's uh, yes, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to the uh, cash flow budget meeting, whatever you want to call that, the money in, money out, fast money, I think it's also important important to name or budget your slow money too. So don't just budget your income, budget your savings. You know, I've learned that if you just have a big pile of money and a cash value, say in one of these bank on yourself policies, you'll either one, leave it there, uh, which is not the best use of that money over the long term, or two, you'll spend it frivolously and you'll forget about the more important things that you planned for. So, you know, so for example, uh, when Katrina and I had all all these policies cash values totaled up in our budget software, and we use YNAB, I think we talked about that in a previous episode, youneedabudget.com, uh, it also gives you a clear sense of what's happening with those dollars, what those buckets are going to be allocated to. Uh, so we have some categories for our cash values, uh, just like we'd have categories for our checking account. But instead of those categories being things like groceries or clothing, we have categories like new car, vacation, real estate investing, and before we budget our cash values, we'd make decisions together about, you know, that we could buy something. Uh, only seeing the total cash value, we'd see this big bucket of money. Oh, yeah, let's go get that new, more expensive car than we probably could afford. Uh, and we'd forget that we need to save up for next April's tax bill, right? So learning to schedule those savings is just as important. Yeah. So let's look at it from an emotional standpoint. What if talking about money is a non-starter in your household? How do you get to a mindset where you're able to overcome the taboo subject? There are some tips to help couples better cope with financial challenges and money problems that put strain on their relationships. So the first one is the first thing couples must do is to come in with agreement that they will make it through this challenge together. They're to see each other as partners and they're in this together. They are a team and together they will overcome. So this is important. It's a face-to-face dynamic. You know, they say <laughs> they say in couple in passionate couples relationships, you have one of two modes. You're either fighting or you're loving each other. There you go. So you need to probably love each other first and then look at each other in the face. And, and <laughs> I, I like as a euphemism, Mark. <laughs> I like where this is headed. Yeah. Uh, if there are any underlying issues of blame and anger. Those also have got to be dealt with as soon as possible. And until there's really a resolve to work together, 
to get past any resentment or unforgiveness, you're really not going to get anywhere in this budget conversation. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, there's nothing wrong in kind of seeing this as a a challenge, you know, and and kind of accept it as a challenge and another way that your um, relationship's kind of going to be put to the test. And so, you know, reaffirm your commitment to each other, uh, despite what you might be going through. And that's going to help you keep your focus and your priorities straight for sure. Yep. And number four, rather than shut down or withdraw, you want to come together and communicate your feelings with each other. Um, so communicating feelings of anxiety or pressure allows you to offer support to each other, comfort each other, and hope that, um, and give the hope that's needed and can help significantly in coping with that situation. And one piece there, too, with those feelings, those negative emotions, which we talked about at the very beginning, anxiety specifically and fear being outward or inward, that there's two sides to fear. Fear is a low-end version of excitement. And so how do you get from fear to excitement? You take a deep breath. Yep. And if you can do that with your couple or within your couple, within your your pair bond, then you can move forward together and make good decisions for each other. Yeah. And so the fifth and uh, final of these uh, sort of tips for better coping with financial challenges that many couples face, and and that does truly put financial strain on the relationship, the fifth and final is uh, couples that can really keep each other in a uh, attitude of hope and positivity are going to stay together and focus on the solution. All of these, if you've read uh, Carol Dweck's mindset book, you'll get you'll get this same kind of concept here. But, you know, couples that pray together stay together rather than focusing on the problem. If they're focused on the solution, they'll get through it. Instead of taking uh, time to speak about how bad things are, how much they should be earning more money or how much debt they've gotten into, uh, they'll focus on what they do have and what they can accomplish together. And uh, they'll find new ways to connect and enjoy each other uh, all along the way. It's really just a, it's about solutions-oriented thinking. Yep. And so then kind of the last thing we wanted to share with you guys in this episode today um, is just some tips on how to keep your emotions in check a little bit when managing your money. Yep. So we've got, uh, looks like five of those as well. So the first tip uh, for keeping your emotion in emotions in check when managing money, number one, visualize. Uh, you might find that focusing on a visual image of your goal, whether it's you know the home you want to buy or the city you want to visit, it makes it easier for you to put those blinders on when it comes to those daily temptations that could really derail your savings goals. And you can carry around a picture of that goal in your wallet or you know tape it to your bathroom mirror or create a digital vision board if that's your thing. Uh, to set it on your computer's desktop or your phone's background image. That's one of the things that has been helpful for me in the past. And then also, you know, talk with your partner. Um, you know, spouses or partners sometimes don't even realize that they differ on some of their long-term goals, which, of course, that's going to create conflicts when it comes to your everyday spending. So if right. you know, one, one spouse has a goal of having a certain amount of money in the future, so they're trying to save more, but then the other spouse is thinking, oh, we could probably get away with a little bit less, so they're spending more, and you're going to have that you know, conflict right away off the bat because you're, you're both interacting with your money in the present differently because of what your long-term goals and your long-term thinking is. Um, So the key is really just to work through those differences, either independently or with a financial professional and kind of come up with a shared vision, um, which doesn't have to be one or the others. It might have to be a little bit of a compromise and a melding of the two. Um, But just create for yourselves a a shared vision, something you both can kind of picture and get excited about. And number three is know how much you're spending. 
You can't start planning for your long-term goals until you know where you stand today. People tend to grossly underestimate how much money they are spending. So look at your tax return to get your take-home pay and then subtract your savings. Everything else is what you spend. It's critical to figuring out where you are and where you want to go next. It's huge because, you know, think about that, you know, just uh, do that raw math and it's incredible how much you could be saving if you took the moments to really examine that together. The fourth is do a brain dump. Uh, So to help uncover those long-term goals, as well as the goals of your partner, sit down with a big piece of paper. I remember Katrina and I have done, you know, multiple whiteboard sessions where we'd put a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, uh, paper on the floor and write all over it with markers. And we'd write down all of our goals, all of our wishes, all of our life plans. And, uh, <laughs> We're that couple. Yeah, we are that couple. <laughs> we are that couple. Uh, we'd spend more time planning maybe our next vacation. Uh, rather, uh, you know, typically we'd spend uh, more time planning our next vacation than the bigger goal of maybe retirement. By sitting down and really thinking about your long-term goal, you'll focus on what's most important, uh, the, the, the life goal of having enough to live on when your income stops. Uh, don't make the mistake that most Americans make, which is, you know, we've seen a couple of billboards that say things like, you know, <laughs> Americans spend more time tagging their photos than they spend planning their investments or saving Picking for retirement. Picking out emojis. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's me. Uh, instead, we really need to take that time to make a plan, constantly update it, constantly tweak it. It's, it's, a, it's truly a lifelong project. And then fifth and finally here, you know, share your goals with others. Research has actually shown that people, especially young people, um, actually benefit from sharing their goals with other people in order to get their, in order to get kind of the encouragement and support um, that they need. You know, we test our decisions with our friends and we can benefit certainly from their feedback. So in our last episode, we kind of talked about how it's very common for people to keep their their finances and their money very, very private. Um, But there's actually some value to not doing that and sharing with others and um, sharing ideas, spitballing ideas. And I mean, you can even find about some really cool stuff. Like I had a friend that was um, talking to me the other day and because they were willing to talk about their finances a little bit, you know, they were telling me about a um, first homeowners like grant that you could get, you know, it's like, oh, I know. I mean, I'm not looking to buy a house right now, but you know, I haven't bought a house yet. So I'll be a first time home home buyer. It's like, oh, I wouldn't have known that that grant was out there potentially if you hadn't told me. So, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that, you can all benefit from, you know, the wisdom and sharing with others. And so, um, definitely think that that could kind of help keep you all on the same page and kind of keep your emotions in check as well. Um, so hope that you guys have kind of enjoyed this episode here today. Hope it's been helpful um, to kind of hear about how emotions and money do interact with each other in a very real way. Um, and so we have some more coming for you guys in future episodes about the circle of life. So stay tuned. But for now, uh, thank you for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.